Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, continues his series entitled The Message and the Movement, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And today's message is number 12 in the series, and it's entitled Jesus and True Righteousness. Uh, so, so glad you're here. Um, we are in the midst of a series here at Rocky Peak. Uh, it's called the, the Message and the Movement. It's a story of, uh, it's a message of the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever preached in the history of the world, most influential speech probably given in the history of the world. And uh, inside of your bulletin is a white message note sheet. So if you're here, uh, new at Rocky Peak, welcome to you. We're so glad you joined us. And if you pull that out, that will help you as we go through our time of teaching. So y'all ready to go? Yeah, okay, good. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this chance to be together. Thank you for what you're doing in our church, Lord. Thank you for showing up. Lord, this is all about you. If you don't show up, we might as well go home. And so we are here. We're, we've got our Bibles open. We've got our note sheets out. We're ready to listen. Lord, we're ready to hear from you. And God, we just pray you do that amazing thing that you do every week. Where you've just, here we are hundreds of people, different backgrounds, different weeks we come from, different lives, things we're going through, and yet you have an amazing way of speaking to each of us as if the sermon's just for us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do that again. Just do your thing like you do, and that when we leave today, we would have a sense that we've been spoken to by the living God. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, he was born in the ancient world in the province of Cilicia. The province of Cilicia is what we'd call modern-day Turkey. It was a big province, and one of the biggest cities in the province is where he was born. It was a city that scholars tell us was probably about a half million people at its height. It was famous in the ancient world, famous especially for its uh, universities. Its, its universities were as famous as the ones at Athens or as famous as the ones at Alexandria. And we don't know a lot about his family or how they got there. Uh, they may have been there for hundreds of years for all we know. We do know his dad was probably a tent maker because that's what he grew up to be. We also know that his family were Roman citizens, and we're not sure how they, they gained that honor, but it was a big deal in ancient times. Most people weren't Roman citizens. It wasn't like the United States where, you, you know, you're born here, you're a citizen. It was, it was hard to get. You had to pay a lot of money or do something special or actually be born in Rome or things like that, and so it was a huge honor, and his family had somehow achieved this honor. We're not sure how. The one thing we do know for sure about his family is that they were Jews, They were Jews living in the midst of this huge metropolitan area, very cosmopolitan, very pagan. It was a city and where the east met the west. It had a major thoroughfare, like an interstate. The crossroads of the world came through. And so in the midst of this pagan, cosmopolitan environment was this family. There were believers in the God of Israel. They were Jews. They took their faith very seriously. And we're not sure exactly how old he was, but when he was very young, he was still a boy, his family either moved to Jerusalem or they sent him to boarding school in Jerusalem. But either way, that's where he was raised. He was sent there to study under the most famous rabbis of all time. Not just his era, but of all time. The, man, the man's name, the rabbi's name was Gamaliel. And uh, we still today can read about him and his, his how famous he was. Gamaliel was a Pharisee. And that means that our young man traveling from Cilicia moves into Jerusalem. He's raised as a Pharisee. Now, I know some of you know a lot about Pharisees, some not as much. Let me just share a few things about Pharisees. The Pharisees loved God's word. They were very into the Old Testament. They were the ones that figured out that in the Old Testament, in the Law of Moses, the first five books, there's 613 commands. In fact, they'd actually broken them down. There was 248 commands, thou shalt. This is what you should do. There was 365 negatives, thou shalt not. They'd broken it all down. They knew every one. They memorized. The the Pharisees were serious. And not only that, but they wanted to make sure that they didn't violate these laws, so they had all these what we call oral laws. These were laws that were not written down for another 100 years after their time, But it passed down from generation to generation, rabbi to rabbi. These were interpretations of the written word of God. And in many cases, these interpretations were taken more seriously than the Bible itself. Let me give you an example. In the Ten Commandments, there's a a commandment that says we're to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, right? And so um, we're not to work on the Sabbath. And so, of course, all Jews knew that, but... They weren't really sure, well, what really qualifies as work, you know? Like, how much can I do 
and it not be work? Have you ever yeah, asked those kind of questions to yourself? You know, like, not on the Sabbath, but on the other issues. You know, how much can I get away with and still not be across the work line? And so they came up over these generations, they came up with 39 categories of work, all right? And then for each of these 39 categories, there was all these laws. You get in the feel of this? So you got one law, Ten Commandments, 39 categories for that one law, all these you know, laws. Under, I mean, there's like hundreds of laws about just the Sabbath that they'd made up. These were man-made. Like, for example, so how, uh, one of their categories of the 39 is you, you're not supposed to bear burdens on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to carry weight, bear burdens, you know, that kind of thing. And so, yeah, but how much, what's a burden? You know, like, like how much weight is a burden? You know, so here's how they decided. They said, well, if it weighs less than a dried fig, you can carry it. You're in good shape. If more than a dried fig, you're over the line. That's it. Um, if you're carrying wine around with you, you can carry enough to fill one goblet, to mix in one goblet. Anything more, you're bearing a burden. Uh, let's see, what else was there? Uh, oh, milk. Okay, if, you're, um, if you want to carry milk around, you can carry as much as one mouthful and swallow. But anything more, you're carrying a burden. And then and then they would argue about this kind of stuff. They'd argue a lot about it. For example, they'd say, well, we'll say that a, guy, a guy's a tailor. You know, he makes clothes for his living. And he's a tailor. And he goes out on the Sabbath, and he has a, a needle in his uh, coat. Is that like bearing a burden? Now, come on, you know, that's really kind of like bearing a burden, isn't it? <laughs> you're carrying the needle, you know. It's a, um, what if you're a woman and you go outside and you have a brooch in your hair? Oh, that could be considered carrying a burden. Um, what if you have, uh, you're a father and you have a little boy in your house and you want to raise him up on the Sabbath? That's quite a bit of weight. You know, is that a burden? Um, how about this? Uh, your wife asked you to move the lamp from one side of the room to the other, like, like my wife did this week, rearranging our house. And, and so was, was that a burden or not? Was that permissible? So you kind of get in the feel of this? So, so these guys, they would, they would not agree always on the oral law and every oral law, but if you were a Pharisee, what you did agree with, your whole understanding is if you want to have a relationship with God, it's all about knowing the rules and keeping the rules. Okay, that's how you have a relationship with God. You, you, you have a relationship with God the old-fashioned way. You earn it, right? All about knowing the rules, keeping the rules. And so this is the kind of righteousness that Jesus would later refer to as the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, okay? Now, our young man moving from Cilicia in modern-day Turkey, moving down to Jerusalem, growing up, he had to be very intelligent to be able to be a disciple of the famous Gamaliel. He grew up, and he studied hard, and he knew all the laws, and he kept all the laws, and he was brilliant. And his reputation began to spread through Jerusalem. He was, went to the head of the class. He was one of the shining stars of his day. And then he met Jesus, and then his whole world fell apart. Today we, uh, we enter into a whole new section, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, if you've been here the last few uh, months, last couple months, you know where we've been. But let me, it's been about four weeks since we've actually been in the Sermon on the Mount. Because we were, uh, I was sick, uh, no, I, was, I took a week off, right? And then, and then I pretended to be sick, and then that was another week off. And then I got Dave back for something on that one. And, uh, and then we had Easter in there. And so it's really been like a, like a month now since we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's do a quick review, all right? We started the Sermon on the Mount with eight statements by Jesus, famous statements are called the Beatitudes, right? The Beatitudes, this is, if you want to be happy in life, here's eight statements to tell you the path of true happiness. And in the process, remember, Jesus is spelling out what we call the character of the kingdom. What kind of person is he looking for in his kingdom? What kind of person do we need to become to follow him in his kingdom? What kind of person will he turn us into if we follow him? Remember, the character of the kingdom. Then the second thing we focused on was Jesus said, that we're here in planet Earth for a reason, that we're not here to run from influence, we're here to impact our culture for Christ, right? So we're to be salt and light. Remember that, that whole thing? And the third thing we saw is that in his day, Jesus was criticized because he often didn't keep these oral law that we just talked about of the Pharisees. And so a lot of people out there, they didn't know the difference. They just, all they knew is he wasn't doing what the spiritual leaders were telling him you need to do. And so they assumed that Jesus wasn't into the Bible. He didn't, he didn't follow the Bible in his life. 
And remember we spent a week talking about this, how Jesus was totally a man of the word, immersed in the word, knee deep in the word, drenched in the word. You can't even begin to understand Jesus or his life or teaching without understanding his passion for God's word. And he says, as his followers, were to share that passion. So that's where we've come so far. Now, today we enter into a whole new section. It's going to start at verse 20, and it's going to go through the end of the chapter. And in this passage, what Jesus is going to talk to us about is what does it look like to be right with God? What does it look like to live life the right way? What does it look like to live life the way it was supposed to be lived? Now, in the Bible, we have a word for that, but it's a word we don't use a lot today. It's the word righteousness, all right? Now, we understand that word because, you know, we're, we're in church, but it's not really a word we use a lot, right? Like, unless you're in the 60s, you don't go up and say, hey, man, you're so righteous, you know? It's like, we don't, like... If you hear the word righteous or righteousness, you know you're near church or near Christians, right? It's like this is not normal language. And so we need to step back and sometimes do what we often do with biblical language. We get overly familiar with it. We need to break it down. What is he talking? What is righteousness? Righteousness just has to do with living life the right way, the way God designed it to be lived, the way that Jesus would live it if he were here, right? It's living life the right way. And so Jesus is going to begin to talk to us. If you're going to follow me, you're going to be a follower of my kingdom, let me talk to you about how to live life the right way. And what he's going to say is it's very different than what the scribes and Pharisees, who are the spiritual leaders of his day, it's very different. That Jesus' righteousness and the life he calls us to is much higher and deeper. It's richer and fuller than anything we could ever imagine. And he's going to contrast the righteousness of the, quote, religious people of his day with true righteousness. And this is going to be helpful for us because in every day, in every age, there are always people who come up and they try to make us religious, right? And if you stop and think about it, there's one kind of person that Jesus didn't get along with the most. It was religious people. So as followers of Jesus, we do not want to become, fall in the trap of becoming religious, Right? We want to stay away from being religious. That's the bad guys. Right? We don't want to become religious people. We want to be Jesus people, not religious people. And so Jesus today is going to spell out the difference. He's going to do a contrast for us. Here's what like, religious people think is the right way to live, and here's my way to live, and they're worlds apart. All right. So we're going to talk about what does it mean to live life the right way. Now, there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Living Life the Right Way, Jesus versus the Pharisees. So the way we're going to get at this is we're going to compare sort of the, the Pharisees' way of doing life, their righteousness, with Jesus' way of doing life. And you'll notice here in your note sheet there's three major statements that help us just get at this to compare his view of it and theirs. And the first one we'll spend the most time on because we're going to break it down into three sub-statements. But here, so here we go. So their righteousness, religious people... And, um, their, their righteousness, it was superficial. His was real. One of the marks of religious people is that there's a superficiality about them. Religion is very superficial. And Jesus came to be to real. He wants to change us from the inside out in, in a way that's really what's right and good and true. It's not like religious stuff, okay? And so his was superficial. Now theirs was real. Now what do you mean by that, Mike? Well, I've got three sub-statements on this, all right? So let's, let's go in. Now, um, we're going to change the way these sub-statements go because some of my best ideas come after Thursday, all right? So, so instead of saying they focused, we're just going to get very out of the box here, and we're going to put religious focus, religion focuses. So every one of these statements is going to start with the word religion, these sub, okay, ready? Because we want to contrast religious people, kind of religious, being religious with being a follower of Jesus. Here we go. So religion focuses on man-made rules, and it misses God's word. One of the marks of um, religious people is there's a a, a tendency to focus on man-made rules, but in the process, we kind of miss God's rules. We miss his priorities. Now, this is exactly what had happened to the Pharisees. They were so into the oral traditions, which these are man-made rules, man-made interpretations of the Bible, that they missed the Bible. Um, Let me give an example. In uh, Mark chapter 7, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples one day. And the the religious leaders, the Pharisees, come up and they're irritated with him. Now, this was common. This was common. And so they're irritated because his disciples were not washing their hands before they ate. And so Jesus said, well, who are you, their mother No, just kidding. (laughs) Um, 
it had nothing to do with hygiene, okay? It had to do with uh, these, all these man-made rules. They'd come up with hand washings, uh, pots washings, all these different things. Their whole life was regulated this way. And so, um, so, so, uh, so anyway, so that, <laughs> this thing, if I want to go a different direction, I don't. Okay, so, um, so their whole life, it was just a superficial uh, approach to life. And so what, let's, let's go ahead and open our Bibles and go back to uh, Matthew chapter 5 in verse uh, 17, and we'll take a look at this passage, okay? So before we jump in, actually, these points, probably give you a good look at the Bible. Chapter 5 and verse 17. <clears throat> now this is where we started last time, so we're going we're gonna to pick it up again just so we don't miss it. It says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. He said, I don't want you to think that I've come to wipe out the Old Testament. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Remember last time we, we covered this. And, and in the same way that the final, uh, final chapters of a novel fulfill the early chapters of a novel. Verse 18, so I tell you the truth that until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything's accomplished. So you can count on my word. And now if you weren't here about a month ago, this is all new material for you, but we're just kind of doing review here, all right? We've already covered this whole passages. Verse 19, um, so uh, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great. And so we said we want to be a church. We want to be people who are learning the word of God, right? We're practicing the word of God. We're sharing with each other the word of God. Uh, Jesus says if you're going to be part of my kingdom, you need to be word-oriented people, right? Bible-oriented people. And so we get that. And then he's going to drop this, uh, he's going to drop this amazing statement on them, this bombshell. Now, to catch this, remember what we said about the Pharisees at the beginning, right? These are the hyper-religious people of their day, right? Every element of their life is regulated. From the time they get up in the morning to the time they go to bed at night, there is a rule for everything to be right with God, right? They just got it down to the gnat's eyebrow. And so these are the guys that they, they figured out. There's 613 laws, 248 and 365, right? These are the guys with all these reams, 39 categories of one law, the Sabbath law, right? All the rules on the 39. These are the guys. If you were a Jew at the time of Jesus, when you said, who are the most righteous people in your culture? Most people would think of the Pharisees. It's impossible to be more righteous than these guys. And so Jesus is going to say something that's going to blow their minds. Now, this is one thing I love about Jesus. Sometimes I like to call him a shock rabbi, you know, and the radio have like shock jocks. Okay. He's like a shock rabbi. That Jesus loves to say things that just blow people's minds. And we miss it because sometimes we're so familiar with what he says, we just like, okay, whatever. But just imagine, it's like he will do this in the Sermon on the Mount. Like, give me an example. Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount a little bit later, and he's going to say something like, hey, if you ever look at your uh, woman and uh, he kind of is fantasizing about her, man, what you need to do is pluck your eye out. Now, can you imagine hearing this for the first time? You're like, you look at your friend Bob. Hey, Bob, did you hear that? Hey, what happened to your eye? You know, it's like, <laughs> and it's like, he says, it's like, that's like, what? Yeah, if your right hand's offending you, cut it off, you know? It's like the early church, everyone's going around, you know, stubs. Like, you, you see, like, we're so familiar with it. He would say these kind of things. Well, it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than going, a camel going through the eye of a needle. Everyone started laughing. <laughs> like, you know, we just look at it, oh, it's Jesus. You know, but, but he loved to shock people, and he did it on purpose because what he would do is he would say something outlandish, and then you're like, huh? And all of a sudden, you're like, what is, what did he just, what is he talking about? And while you're there saying, like, what is he talking about? He's like, good, I've got you right where I want you. Let's talk about this issue. Let's talk about this issue. And then he would slide in some powerful spiritual truth that just we would not have been open to before. And so that's what he's going to do here. The Pharisees were like, in their eyes, the most spiritual people in all their country. And now look what he says in chapter 5 and verse 20. He says, but I, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, can you imagine hearing that? You're like, oh, no, I might as well just close up shop and go home. 
I'm not making it in. If those guys can't make it in, I can't make it in. I can't be better than those guys. There's no way. These guys are like professional religious people. These are professional law keepers. These guys know all the rules. I don't even know the rules. I don't even know the 39 categories, let alone keep them all. They know all the 39 categories. They keep them. There's no way. You see? This is what would have happened to them. And now Jesus has the crowd right where he wants it. Let's talk about the difference between religious righteousness and true righteousness. Let's talk about the religious vision of life. What does it look like to be right with God from a religious point of view? He says, and that's, that's not it. Now let's talk about what it means to be right with God, live life the right way from the real point of view. You see? And so in the section that we're in, that we're going we're to break it down. What is the difference? So the first one, we've talked about this is superficial. Theirs was, their righteousness was very superficial, and, and, and his was real. Now, so the first sub of that, we're going to put in there, religion focuses on man-made rules there and misses God's word. Now, this was very classic of religious people. Religious people will tend to get so focused on man-made rules, they will miss God's rules. Some of you have been part of churches like this before. We'll talk about this more as we go on. Well, let me give you an example in, the, 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 uh, in their life, the Pharisees' life. We started telling this before. Mark 7, the, the Pharisees come. They're upset with Jesus. What are you doing? Uh, you're, you're not washing your hands. Got that whole thing down. And Jesus comes right back at him. He says, okay, I got a question for you. <laughs> My question is, why do you blow off God's word in order to an- honor your man-made teaching? That's my question for you. I'm like, whoa, what do you mean? Well, let me give you an example. In the, in, uh, the Ten Commandments, we're told we're to honor our parents, right? And, and, of course, part of that, a big part of that is taking care of our parents in their old age. They took care of us in our young age. We're to honor them, take care of them in their old age. And if, if we need to take care of them financially, that's part of it, right? That's part of honoring our parents. Now, now see, that, now, that's true righteousness, isn't it? That's true, right? When you take care of your parents in their old age, even if it's hard to do, even if it's financial sacrifice, that's doing the right thing. That's true righteousness. That's a superficial. That's the real deal, isn't it? That's, that's honorable. We would all look and say, that is honorable, right? Okay, here's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees did like this. They created this law called the Law of Korban. Not in the Bible. It's a man-made law. The Law of Korban. And the Law of Korban said that anything you own in your life, you can dedicate it to God. Now, you don't have to give it over necessarily right away, but just dedicate it to God. So I've got this bank account. I dedicate it. God, this money is for you. It is now Korban. And then what they'd say is, hey, mom and dad, I'd love to help you out. I know you're going through hard times, but you know my money? It's Korban. It's dedicated to God. And since it's dedicated to God, I really can't use it on you. I would love to help. Sorry. Check with Johnny. You see? And can you see how superficial that was? It wasn't real righteousness. It was a superficial brand. And then Jesus says this. He says, and you know what, Pharisees? You do that kind of thing all the time. That's his clincher. He says, you do many things like this. Okay? So, so one of the marks is it's focused on man-made rules. Now, we can do this in Christian circles, can't we? Have you ever been part of a church that's all about man-made rules? You ever been part of a, some of you have grown up in Christian kind of very legalistic context where, and here's how it works. Christians always should do this. Christians should never do that. And when you ask, well, where is that taught in God's word? You start getting this long rigmarole. Or you start getting this verse that doesn't even seem to apply. Yeah, but what it really means. Or what Dr. So-and-so says it means. Or what this commentary says it means. Or we've always done it that way. Or all Christians know this. And it's like, no, no, no. I want to know in the Bible, in the word. And what happens is that this is a way that churches get off track, Christians get off track, as we start being, paying more attention to our man-made traditions that have no authority than we really are over God's word. And here's the tragedy of it. It's not only that we get really bound up, because if you've ever been in a situation like this, you're bound up. You can't move. You can't do anything. Right? Christians shouldn't, Christians shouldn't, Christians shouldn't, or whatever. Not only do you get bound up, but here's the tragedy, is it causes us to miss God's priorities. You see? It, it caused us to miss his word. That's what happened. They were all caught up. They, they, had, they had Corban down, but they missed taking care of their parents. See, it's kind of a basic deal. Okay, so that's the number one. There's a second sub there for you. This one goes like this. Religion, remember we're crossing it out. Religion focuses on the minors and it misses the majors. <laughs> now we're moving, out, we're moving into God's word. And the first sub point 
The point was is that we that the religious people elevate tradition over God's word, right? Now, in this point, what we're saying is that in God's word, there's a tendency of religious people to focus on the minors. So let me ask you a question. Not, no trick question here. I just want you to think this through. You may have never uh, thought about this before. Okay, so in the Old Testament, supposedly there's 613 laws. They've never counted them. I trust them. It's 613 laws. All right. Now, do you think um, that those laws are all equally important? I want to see a show of hands. How, how many of you would say that all those laws would be equally important? Okay, how many think that some laws are more important than others? Y- yeah. Now, it's funny because we never think this way, don't we? What we tend to think is, hey, if it's all God's word, it's all important, they're all equally important. But it's not true. The fact of the matter is some things in the Bible are more important than other things, even though they're all in the Bible and they're all important. Like, stop and think about this. Remember Jesus, they, they come to ask Jesus, and they said, um, what is the most important law in all the Old Testament? Remember his answer? He didn't say, oh, they're all equally important. He said, oh, that's easy. Here's the top two, right? We'll see it later on today. He says it even more clearly than that. There's certain laws that are more important. Now, here's the Religious people tend to focus on ritualistic things, symbolic things, uh, and they miss the big picture. This is what the Pharisees did. They're into sacrifices. They're into all their little rules and this sort of thing, but they would miss the big things, loving your neighbor as yourself, mercy, compassion, humility. They would miss the big stuff, and this still happens today. Let me give you an example from my own life, just growing up. When I was growing up, there were certain things that to me as a kid, and I'm just growing up, right, in a Christian home, Christian community, whatever, Christian church, and you're just picking up, like, what's important? What does it mean to be a Christian? What's really important about this? And you know what I picked up as a young person growing up? There are certain things that are really important as a Christian you don't do. You don't cuss, okay? This is it. You don't cuss. That's the mark of a Christian. Christians don't cuss. What does it mean to be truly right? Live life the right way. Don't cuss. (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, What else? Don't smoke. Okay. Okay, now, as a kid growing up, this is the message I'm getting, that Christians... The, the distinguishing mark of Christians are things like this. Christians don't cuss and they don't smoke. Now, now I, want you, I want you to listen very carefully. I don't want a bunch of cussers and smokers out here, all right? I can just see now. I, well, I found this new church. I love it. They let you do anything. Like the pastor says you should cuss and smoke. Well, it's great. We're out in the lobby. We're having a great time. Yeah, okay. Now, here's what I want you to catch. According to the Bible, is it wrong to cuss? I would say yes. The Bible says that we should not use obscene or filthy language or coarse jesting, uh, right? So yes, it's, it's, it's not a good thing to cuss, right? Well, is it a good thing to smoke? Would the Bible say it's a good thing to smoke? Well, I'd say we probably, most of us agree that, you know, it's pretty proven that smoking causes cancer and it's probably not the best thing to be doing with your body, right? So we probably agree that as Christians, it's probably better for us not to, to smoke, right? We probably agree with that. Okay, here's what I want you to catch. On a scale of 1 to 10, how important is cussing and smoking compared to things like taking care of the poor, to loving your neighbor as yourself, you see? And, and how did I miss that growing up? The message I got growing up in that church, the message was these are the things that are important. Don't cuss, don't smoke. And I never heard about the things Jesus cared about, loving the poor, loving your knit. You see what I'm saying? And it's like, and this is the mark of religious people is there's a tendency to, folk, to major on the minors and to miss the majors. Okay, now let me give you an example. The Pharisees, one of their things that they were into was, was tithing. Now, most of you know what tithing is. If you don't, it's, it's time you learn. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, <laughs> So if we could just lock the doors um, and get the offering baskets out. We're not going anywhere. Uh, no. Uh, if you're new at this whole thing, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was required to tithe. 10% of their income would go to the Lord every year to support the temple and the ministry and so on. And it was great. It was important. It's a good thing. And tithing's important today. And we talked about it as one of our commitments here. So hear me out. It's, it's a good thing, all right? 
But the Pharisees, this is an example of their mentality. They were so into tithing. They just focused so much on this tithing thing. They would tithe down to the gnat's eyebrow. And they would tithe down to their, 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 like their, their herb gardens. They, you know, hey, ten, there's 10 leaves on that mint plant. Let's give one to God. You know? I mean, they were, they were tithing. Just, they were neurotic about this whole tithing thing. But at the same time, they were missing the most important things in life, justice, mercy, compassion, and love. You see, we've seen through the whole thing. And so Jesus calls them on this. In fact, here he says, they're on your note sheet. I want you to have this. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Now, always a bad day when Jesus starts off greeting with a woe. Because it's not like, whoa, it's woe. And he says, you hypocrites, again, where he's on a roll here. Now, like he says, you give a tenth of your spices, uh, your, your mint, your dill, your cumin, whatever that is. My spell check didn't recognize it. But, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Now, underline that, the more important matters of the law. Jesus is very clear. Some, some matters are more important in the law right, than others. There was a law, for example, that you shouldn't wear a clothes made of cotton and polyester, right? <laughs> Not real high on the list. All right. So the, the more important matters, a lot, and here, here he spells them out. He gives us three examples. Here's three examples of justice, mercy, faithfulness. See, character, these core core character qualities of loving people as you love yourself. And he says you should have practiced the latter, these core things, without neglecting the former. So Jesus is not saying, hey, the, the tithing wasn't important. He's just saying in the scheme of things, how, tithing on your mint plant, tithing on your dill, you know, giving one pickle out of every jar, you know, that this is, it's, you're missing the big picture, right? And we've seen this all the way through the life of Jesus, right? How the, how the Pharisees had no compassion on those who had fallen, right? So they, they missed the big things focused on the small. It's just something that religious people do, okay? So and there's a third thing that religious people do. Third thing is religious people, uh, it says religion focuses on the letter of the law and, but misses the spirit of the law. One of the things that religious people like to do is they like to take God's law, his standards, and kind of cut it down to bite-sized pieces so they could swallow it. Like to limit the law. So for example, many of you will remember this. Uh, Jesus once said two most important things in life, love God, love people, love your neighbors yourself. A lawyer was there, a spiritual lawyer, and he says, okay, so um, who is my neighbor? Remember that? Now, why is he asking that question? Because he wants to limit the law so it's doable. Love my neighbor as myself is pretty big. If I can just limit down who's my neighbor, he's only three doors down from me, it's much more doable, you see? And this was the Pharisees' mindset. Is when they would read the word of God, instead of really thinking about it, what's God really after? What's really going to please God? What's the heart of this law? They would look at the letter of the law. They would look at the, the, the kind of the, well, the bare minimum, so to speak. You know, how can we just please, for example, uh, in fact, in the next uh, five or six weeks, Jesus is going to spell this out for us. Okay, what does it look like to live life the right way? He's going to give us six examples, really practical. I hope you can be here like every week. It's really practical. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Six, he's gonna, oh, let me give you six examples. He's going to talk to us about um, anger. He's going to talk to us about sex. He's going to talk to us about marriage. Then he's going to talk to us about integrity. Then he's going to talk to us about revenge. And then he's going to talk to us about love. Six examples, okay? We'll take one a week. Now, so in these examples, there's a law in the Old Testament, one of the Ten Commandments, you should not kill people, right? Don't kill your neighbor, right? And so here's how the Pharisees looked at that law. As long as I don't kill Joe, I'm fine, I can hate his guts, and God and I are good. Just don't whack him, you know. Just don't call him the hit, man, you know. And Jesus comes and says, are you kidding me? He says, hey, I want to change you from the inside out. So it's that you deal with anger that's at the heart of this thing. That, that thing about not killing it, God was thinking more than just don't kill him. He's saying don't hate him, right? He said, there's a Pharisee out there, and he's like, hey, man, I, I really wish I could go to bed with Susie, but she's Joe's wife. And uh, so I know I can't do that, man, but I just love watching her. I just love fantasizing about her. I would, I would if I could. And Jesus says, time out. You think you're really right with God? 
He said, just because you didn't sleep with Susie, you wanted to, you're fantasizing about it. There's something wrong with you at your core level. <laughs> What's going on here? I'm going to start doing a dance here pretty soon. But anyway. Um, Anyway, so you see what I'm saying? That Jesus is always going, hey, what's the heart of the matter? And the Pharisees are always going, what's the external? What's how superficial can I be? What's the letter of the law? And so here's the first way that Jesus' righteousness is very different. The life he calls you to and me is not a superficial, religious kind of thing. It's, it's, been, it's the real deal. And so we would live life the way it was supposed to be lived. Loving people, loving God, doing the right thing, doing what's right and good and true, you see? Living life the right way. So that's the first difference. There's a second difference, though, between Jesus' righteousness and the Pharisees, and theirs came from works, and his was a gift. The Pharisees' whole approach to a relationship with God, and we saw this earlier, was they're going to, to, to get it the old-fashioned way. They're going to earn it, Right? This is our whole approach. You, you list out the rules. You memorize the rules. You keep the rules. If you keep the rules, you can have a relationship with God. Their whole view of being righteous was a matter of listing rules, memorizing rules, keeping rules. Jesus comes along, has a totally different approach. And Jesus says the truth about it is that we're all so messed up that the only way that we can be righteous, the only way we can have a relationship with God is if he gives it to us as a gift. You can't deserve it. I can't deserve it. We're all too messed up. Have you ever tried to keep the two great commandments? Love God with all your heart. You ever, how good are you at that? You ever find that your heart is off seeking other things? Right. How about this? Love your neighbor as yourself. Anyone tried to do that for more than two minutes? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be thinking about them. <laughs> it's back on me again. Well, like we're self-absorbed, aren't we? It's, it's the heart of our race. We're a fallen race. Now, Jesus comes into that fallen race, and he says, here's rule number one of my kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. How happy are you when you come to realize a truth about yourself, that you are spiritually poor. You're spiritually broke. You're spiritually broken. You can never be what you need to be, but I've got good news. I came to die for you so that we can have a relationship anyway. Okay, so Jesus comes and says, you're messed up. I'm here to love you anyway. I want to give you righteousness as a gift through my death for you, all right? The Pharisees could never get that. They really believed that if they listed all the rules and they, they nailed it down, that they could earn their righteousness. And that's why they were at such odds with Jesus. You see this most in like the most classic Pharisee in the whole Bible. He's the young man we started our day with. The young man who grew up in Cilicia, moved to Jerusalem, studied under Gamaliel, the rising star, learned all the laws, kept all the laws, was perfect with all the laws. He thought he was righteous. He thought he had it wired. And then one day Jesus meets him and his whole world falls apart. That man, of course, was the Apostle Paul. See, we forget that he was a Pharisee. We forget what that means. See, his whole approach to life was list the rules, keep the rules, and one day he's, he's traveling on the road to Damascus, a 175-mile expedition to arrest followers of this cult of Christ. And the cult leader, Jesus, shows up, knocks him off his horse and says, surprise, you're persecuting the wrong guy. And all of a sudden, his world came apart. This man who thought he was perfectly righteous, he's now killing the followers of the Messiah, and his whole paradigm of how do you have a relationship with God got blown apart. And God began to teach him that day. Jesus began to teach him that very first day. He knocked him off the horse. Paul, you've got it all wrong. The relationship with me, being right, it's something you never earn. It's something that I have to give you as a gift. In fact, let's, uh, let's take a look into his diary, okay? Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, the apostle Paul gives us the mindset of a first century Pharisee. And he's the one we know best. And so if you go to first, uh, Philippians 3, he talks about the way he used to think as a Pharisee about relationship with God and how he thought about religion and so on. So Philippians chapter 3, and if you go to verse 4, the middle of the, middle of the passage, Paul's talking about his spiritual resume before he came to Christ. Can you all hear that? That beep, 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 beep. Okay, just want to make sure I wasn't crazy. Okay, <clears throat> three, four, middle of the middle of uh, middle of it. 
So he's talking about his mindset, about his relationship with God before Jesus knocked him off his horse. He says, if anyone thinks that he has reasons to put confidence in his flesh, in other words, his own achievements, I have more. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was uh, of the people of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, catch this, I was a what? A Pharisee. See that? Okay. So we know what that is now. Um, as for zeal, his passion, he said, I was persecuting the church. Catch this, as for legalistic righteousness. That's what Jesus calls the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Legalistic right, rule keeping. He said, I was faultless. Boy, I knew the rules, kept the rules. But for whatever was my profit... I now consider loss, now that I've come to Jesus, for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost everything. But I look back, I consider it like trash or rubbish so that I can have this new relationship with Christ, verse 9, and be found in him, here it comes, catch this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but... That which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God is by faith. See, here's two different plans to achieve righteousness. One is sort of a personal self-help plan. It's, it's the way of the Pharisees. List the rules, keep the rules. Paul says, man, I had that righteousness. I thought I was righteous, but I was measuring my righteousness by the wrong ruler. <laughs> I was keeping all the rules, but I was all messed up. He says, but now I found about a new righteousness. It comes as a gift. It's something that Jesus gave me. It's something I could never earn. It's a righteousness that's greater than the scribes and Pharisees ever could achieve, you see? Okay, third thing. Third way that the righteousness is greater is that theirs flowed from self-effort, his from the Spirit. And this is true of all kind of religious righteousness. Religious righteousness flows from self-effort. It's a matter of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. You tell me what to do, I'll do it. Here's the rules, I'll go keep them. I just look within, I take my willpower, I'm gonna keep the rules, right? It's a self-effort program. It's a self-help program. Jesus comes along and says, you all are beyond self-help. <laughs> he says, you, you, you don't need self-help, you need spirit help. You need to be changed from the inside out. And so theirs flowed from self-effort, his from the Spirit. And here's what Jesus says. There's something wrong with the human race at its core. And if you're going to truly become like me, you can never become like me just by your self-effort, by trying harder, like the Avis Christians, you know? It's like, if you're going to become like me, it's because my spirit supernaturally is going to come inside of you and change you from the inside out and at a core level. He's going to change your, your hungers, your passions, your desires. He's going to change your values. And it's going to happen internally. And it's going to happen supernaturally. And only when that happens can you really pursue with your whole heart the things that I pursue, Jesus says, you see? So, now this was nothing new that Jesus was saying. It's really a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. So I want you to take your Bibles, and if you're kind of new at this, this is a good time to use your table of contents, okay? Because we're going to Old Testament passage, probably not really worn out. It's in the little book of, uh, well, not so little, but it's pretty big, Ezekiel, okay? Ezekiel chapter 36. So it's to the left in your Bibles, Ezekiel 36. And we're going to look at what the prophet said one day that the Messiah would come and he would release his spirit in our lives in a powerful way that would change us from the inside out. Here's what is prophesied, verse 26, 36, 26. <clears throat> he says, um, God says, I will give you a new heart. I'll just wait a second. There's a lot of turning. You should have turned the table of contents, I'm telling you. <laughs> You're like, oh, no, I can find it. Yeah, I can tell you late uh, page flippers. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you guessers. Okay, verse 26. Here we go. I will give you a new heart, God says, and I will put a new spirit in you. We, we talk a lot about here about being changed from the inside out. I, I started using that phrase, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. As I read the scripture, it was like, you know, what we need, we don't need a law that's outside of ourselves just telling me how I'm supposed to be. 
I need God to come and change me from the inside out. And it's like, wow, that's just what the Bible says. That's exactly what it says. He says, I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart. We're going to have a heart transplant here. I'm going to remove from you your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And catch this. I will put my spirit in you, and I will move you. I love that. I'll move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So when Jesus came, he said, you know what? No one can enter my kingdom unless you're born again by my spirit. And when my spirit comes in, he starts to change you from the inside out. He takes away your old desires. He takes away the old person. He starts putting a new, a new heart, a new, a new spirit inside of you. You find you start wanting things you never cared about before. You find the things that you used to want to do. It's like you don't seem quite right anymore. Something's changing. Something's shifting. And it's not your willpower. It's the Holy Spirit changing you from the inside out. And Jesus says it's the only way you can ever be truly righteous is by, if I change you at your core. You see, for many years in the Christian church, we've often taught this wrong. We've taught half of the story. As, as Bible-believing churches, evangelical churches, we've often taught this part of the story, that Jesus died to forgive you of your sins. That is absolutely true. But we miss the second heart part of the story. Here's the second part. Jesus died to, to forgive you of your sins so that he could make you like him. Hey. And we've often missed this. And we've separated out. It's like, well, I'm a Christian. I'm just not following Jesus. As if that's an option. I want you to listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 20. We read it earlier today. Remember, he said, he said that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not part of my kingdom. Right? He said that. And what he's telling us, if you're going to be a follower of mine, you have to follow. Your life has to change. But it's not changing by your self-effort. It's changing by the work of my spirit in your life. You see, it's a supernatural thing. Now, as we wrap this thing up, if you turn your page over, I've got three quick questions for you there. Just to get really practical. We've compared the religious view of life with with Jesus' view of life, what it means to live life the right way. Three quick questions, just as you do some self-evaluation. Number one, in your life, are you majoring on the majors? If you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, one question we have to always stay on guard is, is are we focusing on the right issues in our life? Are you majoring on the majors? This week in your life group homework, you're going to study a great passage of Scripture. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 4, where Moses says to the nation of Israel, you're about to go in the promised land. God's given you his laws. He says, man, it's such an incredible gift. Go on, because God's law, it points out the path to life, right? It's an incredible gift. He says, um, he's giving us life. And he said, and if you follow these laws, it will make you wiser than all the nations around you. See, the problem with the law is not that the law isn't good. The problem is with human nature that we can't live up to it. But the law is good. It passes out the right. Here's the way you want to live life. Love God, love people, you know? Okay. So he says, now here's, he says, but as you enter the promised land, I've got one warning for you. Deuteronomy 4, 2. Here's the warning. He says, be careful. Do not add to God's word and do not take away from God's word. Now, these are the two biggest mistakes we make in life. We take away from God's word. Oh, the Bible says don't do that. Oh, I don't really believe that part. <laughs> he just took it away, Right? But here's the other mistake that Jesus is talking about today is we add to God's word. We say, thou shalt when God has not spoken. And that is the heart of legalism. When we add to God's word like the Pharisees do, this is the heart of legalism. We say, this is what God says every Christian should do or every Christian should not do. And God has not spoken. Moses says, do not make that mistake. Do not add to God's word. And so as a church here, as, as a, a community of Jesus followers here, in your own life here, the question is, are you majoring on the majors? And for some of you, this is going to be a lifelong struggle because if you were raised in a very legalistic background, what happens is that the, the, the word of God and the rules of man get so intertwined, it's hard to pull them apart. And you start feeling, if you start like not obeying the rules of man, it feels like you're not obeying the rules of God. 
And so it's a constant challenge for us to come back as a church or as followers of Jesus and says, what really is of the Lord or what isn't? Well, let me give you an example. When I uh, uh, was growing up, uh, one of the movements that happened, I just kind of was just a little bit young to hit it, but was the Jesus movement. Some of you have heard about that or read about it in history books. <laughs> um, anyway, you know, all these hippies came to Jesus, right? And I remember one of the big issues in a lot of churches was that they didn't want these new followers of Jesus in the church because they had long hair, right? Now, can you see how when the church of Jesus Christ starts measuring spirituality by outward things like there's something seriously wrong, we become a religious group, not a Jesus group. Let me give you another example. And I want you to take this in the best way, okay? So I'm trusting you now to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. (laughs) I don't want to be any misunderstanding here. I know that some of you Love. I have, I have people come up, Mike, I love it that you wear sandals on stage. That's so cool. This thing is the coolest thing. A pastor would wear sandals. Like never, I've had some of you say, never give up the sandals, please. Okay. I've had others of you say, we are not paying you enough or what? <laughs> right, you know, would you like me to buy, I could buy you some shoes, you know? Okay. Now, now here's the point. As I come to God's word, the question is, is it right or wrong, according to God's word, to, to wear sandals? And, and I'm just using this as an illustration. Okay? This is really not a, that's why I want, I'm trusting you with this, okay? <laughs> this is not like a, a, a defense, all right? This is an example that right here in our church we can relate to. Okay? Is it right or wrong? I think you can make, art, you can make an argument one way or another. I, I think in some settings it would be wrong to wear sandals and others would be right. I think you can make a good biblical argument. The argument would be based on 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul says, when I'm with Jews, I do what the Jews do. When I'm with Greeks, I'm doing what the Greeks do. I'll do whatever I can to reach the most amount of people. And so there's probably some settings, it'd probably be a bad decision, some settings, probably a good decision, okay? So it's not like a right or wrong. But the thing that will strike me sometimes is when someone will talk to me, and, and really, came, I got an email last week from someone who's a visitor here. Uh, they weren't, uh, just so you know, it's not you. <laughs> no, but... Um, <laughs> But they were kind of taking me to task for wearing sandals. And what would Jesus do? Uh, well, I think he wore sandals. <laughs> no, no, catch me. Here's why I'm trusting you in this. I'm trusting this, okay? This is no axe to grind. I'm, I'm trusting this. I'm not saying it's right for me to wear sandals because of that. It might be wrong. It could be wrong. It could be a bad decision. But what I want to catch you is it's not about sandals. It's about reaching the most people. You see? And now the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 9, when I'm with, the, the, uh, when I'm with the, uh, Jews, I'll be like a Jew. When I'm with the Greek, I'll be like a Greek. That's a biblical principle. That's important, that we should adapt to our setting in order to reach the most people. That's important. You see, that's a major how we do that, what we wear, long hair, short hair, this, you know, see, these are things. And so this constant question as Christ's followers, we need to ask ourselves, is this thing that I'm making a major, is it really a major or is this a minor? And the danger is if we focus too much on the minors, we miss the majors. Loving God, loving people, loving each other, see? Okay. All right, number two, second question. Are you learning to accept God's grace in your life? And this is a lifelong lesson too. Are you learning? You know, some of us, when we come to Jesus, we're so messed up. We know we have nothing to offer him. We've got nothing to offer. We come just as I am without one plea. O Lamb of God, have mercy on me. Or how does the song go? You know what I'm saying? It's like we come, Jesus, I'm messed up. If you can help, here I am. And then we get cleaned up and Jesus does an amazing work in our life. Five years later, we're like, hey man, I'm doing pretty good. And now we start feeling like we're on our own. We start feeling like in order to receive God's grace, we've got we've to keep up the pace. You know, we, we've got to earn it. We've got to deserve it. Can I tell you something? The Christian life is a gift from beginning to end. We never deserve it. We never deserve it. We'll never deserve it. It doesn't matter because Jesus loves you so much. He wants to do what's best for you regardless. You see? 
And so we, we don't have to take on our responsibility for our own Christian growth. We don't have to take on a responsibility for changing ourselves because he wants to do that. It's a gift of grace. We just have to cooperate. Let me say this. There's some of you here that you've never given your life to Christ yet, and the reason you haven't is because deep down inside, you believe you have to clean up your act before you're ready to come to Jesus. Can I tell you something? That Jesus just wants you to come as you are. Just come like you are. Come all messed up. Give him the broken pieces. That's what he's about. That's what he's about. It's always a gift. What an amazing offer that Jesus says, you come and you give me all your junk of your life, all your failures, all your sin, everything you've done wrong, and I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll trade it for you. In fact, there's a verse that says that. Uh, 2 Corinthians, right there on your note sheet. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, here's the story of salvation. God made him who had no sin, no mistakes, no error, Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's an exchange that goes on. You come to Jesus, you give him all your crud, all your mistakes, all your failures. He gives you back his righteousness. What an amazing deal. It's the best deal in the universe, right? And so if you're here today and you have never given your life to Christ because you're afraid you don't deserve it or you can't keep up or you can't earn it or you need to get your act together, hey, it's just time to lay that down, you know? And I'm gonna give you a, couple, a chance in a couple minutes. Okay, number three. The third question is, are you following the Spirit's lead? We've seen today that when a person gives their life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes inside and starts changing them from the inside out. And what he's going to do is he's going to change you to become like Jesus. He's going to make you right like Jesus is right. That's what he's doing. But it only happens as we follow the Spirit's lead. He won't force us. He'll put his new desires in your heart, but you'll have to surrender to his leadership. You'll have to follow his lead. There in your note sheet, Galatians 5, Paul describes this. He says, since we live by the Spirit, in other words, we've been born again by God's Spirit. He says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. All right? You need to keep in step. In other words, he's leading. Let's stay in step with him. Let him lead. In these next uh, five or six weeks, we're going to be focusing on these five or six areas I talked to you about. You know, anger, uh, sex, love, uh, revenge, uh, integrity, marriage, and it's going to be a journey. And it's been a great journey together. As we come together as Christ followers to say, what does it look like to live life the right way in the area of our anger, in the area of purity, sexual purity? In the area of, and we're going to look at this together and see what Jesus says. But here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to give you chances in these next five or six weeks. The Holy Spirit is going to be leading many of you in your life. He's going to be putting new desires in your heart. He's going to be putting new steps to take in your life. And as you surrender to his leadership, guess what? You're going to become just a little bit more like Jesus every step of the way. So I hope you can be with us every week here as we go through this together and talk about what does it look like to live life the right way. Let's pray together. As our uh, heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to give you a chance. If you've never given your life to Jesus to do that today, and so I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if this expresses a desire of your heart, just pray along with me inside of your heart. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I ask you to come in and to forgive me for everything against you I've ever done wrong. I ask for your gift of righteousness. I pray you'd fill me with your spirit and change me from the inside out. While our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, if you just prayed that prayer, in a couple of minutes we'll be taking our offering and filling out our registration cards. And if you prayed that prayer, would you do me a favor and just write, Mike, I prayed the prayer, or I, I asked Christ into my life, something like that, I'll know what you mean. And we will be, be, begin praying with you this week, uh, praying for you, and also I'll send you a letter of some just practical next steps you can take in your new journey with Christ. Lord, we thank you for this time to be together as a church to study your word and to look at this life you've called us to. We're so grateful for it, Lord. Thank you that you don't leave us as we are. You take us as we are, but you love us too much to leave us that way. And we're thankful for that. And so we pray you'd lead us into the right life as a church and as followers of yours. We pray in your name. Amen. Let's stand together. May this be a week where you pursue Jesus in your life and seek after him and where he is teaching you more what it means to live life the right way. And I hope you can join us this next uh, five, six weeks 
as we uh, take this journey, the next part of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus gets so practical and says, okay, let me talk to you about kind of the old way of looking at the way of look, what it means to be right and the new way. And I'm going to spell it out for you. And so he's going to talk about these five or six really practical areas. I hope you can join us for every week. And that most of all, that you'll be uh, really open to the leading of the Spirit in your life as he is working to make you just like your big brother. God bless you, and we'll see you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. <laughs>